Uh, tonight, I want to talk about uh, dating and marriage in community, but I want to begin by uh, sharing some dating stories with you. Can I share some dating stories with you? Okay, on one of the first dates uh, that I took my wife on, I wrote this. My wife and I were on one of our first dates. I took her to the train bridge over Codwell Park, and because I'm so romantic, I thought we'd actually walk out on the narrow train bridge overlooking the river. Halfway out, things were going well on our date until the train came. Uh, Terrified, we ran, and just in time, we found one of those little platforms meant to save your life if you're stupid enough to walk across the train bridge on a date. And even though this was crazy and my heart was pounding, I used this frightening moment to wrap my arms around Erica and protect her. We embraced, and she felt safe. And that was the night she knew I was the man of her dreams. See, dating can be dangerous. There's something about the dating season that just brings the stupid out of us, that brings the crazy out of us. If you're dating right now, there's something about that season where you just do things that are dangerous. Uh, Megan, who's on staff and married my brother Jeremy. Megan writes this, one of their dates. Exactly a year after we started dating, Jeremy planned a romantic date to Chico as a one-year anniversary surprise. He borrowed his mom's brand-new sports car, and we headed to Chico. We ended up at the Olive Garden for dinner with one of Jeremy's ex-girlfriends as our waitress. (laughs) Blatantly flirting with him through the entire dinner. Awesome, she writes. Anyway, made it through dinner, headed to the movies. Halfway there, he took a sharp turn, and the fettuccine Alfredo leftovers ended up all over the back seat of mom's brand new car. We had to stop at a really shady gas station, thought we were going to be killed to get something to clean it up. In the parking lot of the movie theater, I noticed that the pepper spray on my keychain had broken somehow. Jeremy put it back together, but unbeknownst to him, he had gotten pepper spray on his fingers. In the middle of the movie, I looked over and he's weeping uncontrollably, (laughs) having accidentally wiped his eyes in the movie. He ran out and missed most of the movie because he was flushing his eyes in the bathroom. After the movie, she writes, he took me up to make out point for the amazing view, of course. (laughs) And we ended up bottoming out his mom's brand new car. He almost drove us off a cliff. So we ended up in the parking lot of Kmart. That's when he pulled out the ring box. And when he saw my excitement and eyes brimming with joyous tears over almost being engaged, he rushed rushed into a disclaimer, no, no, Meg, it's just a promise ring. Just a promise ring. Dating can be dangerous. Ex-girlfriends, cliffs, pepper spray. Uh, My friend Andrew, some of you know Andrew and Rosetta Borjic. Andrew writes this, Rosetta and I went skydiving on our second date. We ended up at the most ghetto place in paradise. (laughs) Rosetta went first, tandem jumping with the instructor. I watched from the ground. I was already terrified at the thought of skydiving. They jumped out, pulled the chute, and the chute got all tangled up, and they started free-falling to the ground. Watching an utter tear from the ground, the instructor cut away the first chute, and the chute fell away. 
Moments later, he then pulled the second chute, and it actually worked, and they came gliding down. After seeing all that, it was then my turn to go up in the small plane. I was terrified already, but after seeing Rosetta almost die, I was out of my mind, scared. But of course, I couldn't wuss out in front of my lady friend. So I manned up, went up, and jumped out of the plane. Luckily, my first chute opened, and we sailed down. As I came down, I saw fire trucks and police cars arrive at the airport to investigate the numerous reports called in by neighbors saying they saw a parachutist crashing to death. They had mistaken Rosetta's first chute that was cut away for a person. (laughs) Dating can be dangerous. Something that happens in the dating season that is just dangerous. I'm sure you all those stories, but as we've been thinking about this series, Life Together and Dating... Here's the thing, one of the most dangerous things that you can do is date outside of community. One of the most dangerous things you can do as a couple, a dating couple or a married couple, is date and live married outside of community. And so we just want to talk about that tonight, dating and marriage in community. And here's here's my big idea, here's my big theme Uh, for the night, it's this, and and this is a deep conviction in my heart. After 11 years of marriage and years of of pastoring couples through awful divorces and seeing all the brokenness that happens in the dating world and, and in the marriage world, there's a deep conviction I have that from their first date to their final breath, couples are meant to be deeply planted and deeply protected in community. God actually gives us the community. He gives us men and women. He gives us fathers and mothers so that our relationships can grow in the context of community. And yet, what we find is so many couples, they disappear and they date in the dark. They date in the shadows. And we see this all the time. They date alone. Couples engage alone. They marry alone. And oftentimes, they divorce alone. And so we just want to shout tonight that you are meant to date. If you're a dating couple, if you're single, if you're married, that your relationships are meant to be planted deeply in community and protected by community. It's a massive uh, deal to God. There's a uh, war raging against marriage. Ephesians 6 says, know the schemes of the enemy. One of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to destroy marriage. And this is why, because marriage is meant to shout God to the world. Marriage is meant to be a display of God's goodness for the world. We talked about the oneness that we find in community. Well, in in a unique way, that oneness is meant to be found in a marriage relationship. People are meant to see marriage and go, that's what God's like. The kind of love, the kind of commitment, the kind of covenant that we see in marriage is meant to shout God to the world. And because of that, the enemy hates marriage. We see it in the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1. You've got this man and this woman created in God's image. And God gives them this command. It's amazing. Go be fruitful, multiply. And then immediately in Genesis 3, you see an attack of the enemy. From the very beginning, there's an attack of the enemy on marriage. He comes and he, he causes them to mistrust God. He causes them to mistrust each other. 
So from the very beginning, there's an attack against marriage to rip marriage apart, to rip families apart, and that war rages on today. And that's why all around us, we see the brokenness, and it's like, man, something's wrong here. And it's because so many relationships have been ripped out of community, and they're getting thrashed around out there. And so there's a call for a generation to learn how to date and live married in community, planted and protected. Because we turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I want to move through this book. Uh, we spent 10 weeks last year in a series called Under the Hoopa, talking about the Song of Solomon. And, and I don't mean today to do a whole teaching on the book of Song of Solomon. But what I want to do is I want to move through it, and I want you to see that in this book, the couple here, they are deeply planted in community. They are deeply protected by the community. It's so important. I love that we have this book right in the middle of the Bible. Here's this book, Song of Solomon. And it's this love story, this 3,000-year-old Hebrew love poem. It's this husband and wife, and they're looking back at their relationship, and they, they're attracted to each other, and they fall in love, and they date, and they get married, and they make love, and they have conflict. They fight. They resolve. They grow old together. And the whole time you'll see that the, the friends are there protecting them, speaking into their relationship, blessing them, affirming them. They are deeply in community. And what I love about the Song of Solomon is this, is that it's, it's God's display for sex and marriage and dating and intimacy. As you read it, you get this picture of what God intended because we look around us and there's a broken picture. It's hard to even find a picture that points us to God. And right in Scripture, we have this book that gives us this amazing display of marriage and intimacy and sex and dating. And what I also love about this book is that it's real. And that there's pain and there's suffering in this book and there's conflict and there's fighting. There's no perfect marriage. And the point isn't that. If you guys think the point is to have the perfect marriage, you will miss God because there's no perfect marriage. Every marriage will have pain, will have suffering, will have conflict. This is normal. So the goal isn't to have the perfect marriage. The goal is to find God in our pain and ask Him to heal us in the deep places and in the deep wounds. And that's how we become like Jesus. When we can bring our brokenness into community and say, God, would you heal this? Would you come and fill us with your love? We're broken here. And God will come and transform us as couples. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I love this. She is just madly in love with this dude. Kiss me and kiss me again. For your love's sweeter than wine. Chapter 1, verse 4. Here's the community they weigh in. How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. Even from the first glance here, even from her first crush here on this man, her, her sisters, her community's there, and they're affirming the love. They are blessing this relationship. They're saying, go for it. Then in Song of Song, chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, this relationship's growing. It's beginning to blossom. They're beginning to date now. He's pursuing her. She's coming out from behind her parents' walls. They're falling deeper in love here. And here you have the community weighs in again in 2.15. And they shout out, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. 
And so back then you had a, a vineyard, and a vineyard took a lot of work. It was cultivating and harvesting, and over and over she refers to her sexuality. She refers to their relationship as a vineyard. Vineyards take work, and what happens is there are nasty little foxes that come into the vineyard to try to eat the fruit and gnaw on the roots. Every relationship has those sneaky little foxes. Every marriage has foxes that they come in, they're sneaky, they run around, and, and we need friends who are setting traps for foxes. And you find this in the Song of Psalms, and you find the friends are there, and they're looking for the foxes. They're guarding and protecting this relationship. We need that. When you plant your dating relationship in community, when you plant your marriage in community, when you're surrounded by friends who are protecting you and praying for you and setting traps for the nasty little foxes, and they're helping you see things that you can't see, they're helping you heal in ways that you need to heal, They're helping the relationship blossom and grow in ways that it desperately needs. Protecting it. Catch those little foxes. I want to do a whole message called Catch the Dirty Little Foxes. I want to spend a whole week and just talk about what are the foxes that are sneaking in to just rip apart relationships. It's so important that especially when you're dating, that you're in community and you have friends that are helping you grow in who you are, helping you grow in intimacy with God and helping you catch the foxes. Song of Songs 3, 6. Here's the wedding day. The young women of Jerusalem speak out. Who's this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? Verse 7, look, it's Solomon's carriage, surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. They're all skilled swordsmen, experienced warriors. Each wears a sword on his thigh, ready to defend the king against an attack in the night. I love this picture of the wedding here. This is such an awesome picture of the wedding. Uh, Ladies, all the ladies in the house, could you imagine coming down the aisle on your wedding day? And you're walking toward the man that you love, that you're about to give yourself to for the rest of your life. And he is surrounded by 60 of his strongest friends, wielding swords to protect your marriage. I mean, that's awesome. Don't you want that, ladies? Don't you want to know that he's in community? Don't you want to know that the man you're giving your life to isn't isolated in the shadows, but that he has strong men of God in his life with swords protecting your marriage, ready to defend against any attack? Then they get married. His wedding day is most joyous day. Song of Songs 5 1. They get married, they make love, which is what you do after you get married. You make love a lot. And I love it, the community's there. The community's there. See, sex is meant to happen in community. And that's because sex tells a great story of God and intimacy. And I, I, love, I love the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture, in, in their culture, in Jesus' day, this is what would happen. And we talked about this in the, in the uh, Under the Hoopa series. We really unpacked this thing. But a Jewish groom would stand under a hoopa. 
And the hoopah was just really a, a sheet connected to four poles. It served as a covering or a canopy. The word hoopah is the Hebrew word for canopy or covering. And the Jewish groom and his Jewish bride would get married under the hoopah. And the hoopah was a symbol that God is there blessing this relationship, protecting this relationship, and leading this relationship. And it has its roots out of the story of Exodus. It's, it's fascinating. And so the, the Jewish groom, he stands under the hoopah. And, and that's where a marriage begins. A marriage begins with a man and God. And when a man walks with God, when he knows God, when he knows who he is in God, then he welcomes his bride down that aisle to stand with him under the hoopah. And they stand there together under the hoopah, under the covering, with all their friends surrounding them. They speak their vows to each other. And then what happens is is they go to consummate the marriage. And and the friends, they place the hoopah over the bed. And they wait outside. And what happens is they consummate the marriage They make love under the hoopah. We call it here at the stirring, hoopah under the hoopah. And they make love, and it's a symbol that God's there, that that sex isn't something that happens in some dirty alley, that God created, that sex is God's, that sex is good, that sex began in heaven, it was in God's heart. It's this gift that God has, and He gives us to enjoy, and to make some babies, and to fill the earth with His glory. So they make love under the hoopah, and then what happens is there's a seven-day celebration. And this is incredible because the friends, the close friends of the bride and groom, they actually carry the hoopah over the couple for seven days. And it's this amazing picture. The community's there protecting them, covering them, praying for them, blessing them, speaking into the relationship. No one wanted to be a best man back then. You had to carry that thing for seven days. See, in our culture, it's not that we don't think about sex. We think about sex. But it's that we don't think about sex deeply. And in the Jewish culture, they had such a deep understanding that everything in the ceremony was a symbol of that God is here and the community is here. This marriage, this relationship is deeply planted in community and covered by God. God is in all of it. God's in the vows, God's in the dating, God's in the sex, God's in the party. This is what they believed about marriage. And so in 5.1, the community weighs in, Oh, lover and beloved, eat and drink, yes, drink deeply of your love, blessing the intimacy. Then in uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6, we get some conflict. What happens is there's this little conflict, this fight they have, the dude leaves, She's brokenhearted. She's searching for her lover. And they're the community. They're there in the pain. Her friends are there in the pain, in the suffering, in 5.9, asking her questions. Why is your lover better than all others? Oh, woman of rare beauty. Reminding her about her love, saying, you can't give up. You've got to go find him. You've got to go pursue him. Don't throw this thing in. Asking hard questions. In 6.1, the women of Jerusalem say this. Where is your lover gone, O woman of rare beauty? affirming who she is in the middle of her pain. This is who you are. Remember, you are beautiful. Which way did he turn so we can help you find him? There's the community in the midst of this conflict, helping to find her beloved. Then in 6.13, 
they cry out again, return, return to us, O maid of Shulam. Come back, come back, that we may see you again. Calling this couple back into community. We need that. We need to be called back into community as we drift and we get disconnected. We need friends that call us back into community. Then in 8.5, who is this sweeping in from the desert? They've been gone. They've been at some bed and breakfast on the coast. Heart-shaped hop tub in the room. And the young women, who's just sweeping in? There they are. I love that as they grow old together, that in this book, see, from the first glance, from the first date to the final breath, you see that even at the end, the final chapters, they're growing old together, and their love has fully blossomed. The community is still there, calling them back into community, blessing them, speaking into this marriage, protecting this marriage. And then in chapter 8, the brothers speak. Any brothers in the house? 8-8. Eight, eight. The woman's brothers say this. We have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asks to marry her? If she's a virgin like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. Yeah, I like this. This is why I believe that the brothers in the church are meant to protect the sisters. I want to see an army of brothers wielding swords to protect the young ladies in the church. And see, the thing is, most of the time what happens is the very brothers in this house that are meant to protect them are actually the ones taking advantage of them. And we need to see some men that are filled with the Spirit of God that begin to see the ladies in the church as sisters and begin protecting them. And I love what the brothers say. Listen, if she's virtuous, if she's pure, we will protect her in a silver tower. If she's pure, if she keeps herself pure, we will protect her from the wrong guys. Because we all know, and even Paul talks about this, that there are men that creep into the church to prey on the young, vulnerable women in the church. This is just, we, we know this. We've seen this for years. We're actually looking for you. This is what Paul says, watch out for men who will creep their way into the church to take advantage of the young ladies. And the brothers here are meant to protect the ladies from those men. We talked about in the end of the Hoopa series, there are men who pray and men who pray. (laughs) It is true. But if she's promiscuous like a swinging door, we'll block her door with a cedar bar. What the brothers are saying, listen, if she's promiscuous, we're going to protect her from herself. The brothers are meant to protect the sisters from the wrong guys, the guys that are here to take advantage, the guys that are here to prey on women. And at the same time, we have a calling to protect the young ladies from themselves. There are some young men and some young women that aren't ready for marriage. They aren't ready to date. 
And it's the responsibility of the community to say, listen, you've got to heal first. You've got deep wounds in your life. You've got some things God wants to do in you. You've got to know who you are in God. There are things that have to happen in your life before you step into a dating relationship or that thing will swing for years. And so the communities here speaking in to the relationship, protecting from the wrong guys, and at times helping the young men and the young women. Listen, you're not ready for a relationship. God needs to heal this. God wants to do this in your life. I mean, I don't think any dude should date that doesn't know who he is in God. I'm just surprised how many women end up falling in love with the dude, and it's like, man, he doesn't even know God. He doesn't hear from God. He's not a man of God. He's not in community. He's not submitted to God. And so many women shouldn't be in a relationship because God wants to do some healing in your life first so that you can be strong in who you are in that relationship. The brothers have a calling to protect the sisters. Uh, Just this past week, my wife uh, bought Asher, my three-year-old son, his first gun. It's this little dart gun. I came home and Asher was just shooting me with this gun. And last night I put him to bed, and he was, he was sleeping with his sisters, and he said, I got to have my gun, Dad. He said, okay, I'll get your gun. He said, I got to protect my sisters. Got to have my gun. So I got his gun, and I gave him his gun. I took all the darts out because I didn't want him to actually shoot one of his sisters. He's three. He went to bed with his gun. I want to see that. I, I really believe God for a, a hoopa culture. Where, where the men in the church live to de- defend and protect the ladies. I want to see a culture where the women can actually date, protected and planted in community. I want to see, this is, this is just one of my dreams, a deep passion, a deep conviction. I want to see every dating couple planted in community. I want to see every married couple planted in community, surrounded with friends, covered by spiritual fathers and mothers and leaders and pastors and older couples. That relationships were meant to grow in community. And, and yet, we all know what happens. This is what happens all the time. I've seen this for years. But this couple, you've got this awesome dude and you've got this awesome girl. And then they begin dating and all of a sudden they disappear. And it's like, hey, where'd they go? Everybody's like, I don't know, where'd they go? When they need community the most, speaking into this thing and protecting this thing, they disappear. And you're like, what happened to that couple? I don't know, they started dating. And then the first time we hear about the engagement is on Facebook. And it's like, I can't call, man. I can't like, you know, all I can do is like it or unlike it. I don't know, do I like this or do I unlike this? Do I comment like, I'm not sure about this dude, seems shady. I don't know what to do. And, and, and then as pastors, this is really hard for us, but as pastors, we get the phone call. And usually the phone call we get is, the question isn't, hey, will you bless this? The question isn't, hey, I want to start dating this guy. What do you think? Is this guy all right? What do you see? Or, or, hey, what do you think about this girl? Can you bless this? The question isn't, hey, will you bless this? The question is, hey, hey, we need you to marry us on that day. The phone call comes not because they want people covering them and speaking to the relationship and blessing it. The phone call comes because, hey, we need somebody to, like, marry us. 
And by that time, the, you know, the dress is already bought and the, you know, the, the date's already set and invitations are sent out. And it's like, at this point, this thing's already moving so quickly. I think one of the greatest questions young dating couples need to ask in community and they need to be asked in community is, have we given this relationship enough time? There's this rush to the wedding. I don't get it. There's this rush to the wedding. We get the phone call. It's like, we're getting married in six weeks. It's already a train. It's moving so fast. It's like, whoa, what about giving this thing enough time? And this is why, because we are fearful. And there's so many insecurities that we bring into the dating relationship that we got to get to the marriage. we got to seal the deal because or else he's going to leave or she's going to be gone. And it's like, man, if this guy's really the right guy, like if he's really the right dude and he loves God, like if he's really the right one, then why are you threatened by giving it a little more time? And if he's really the right dude, then he's not going anywhere. And you've got some healing that God wants to do. You've got some things God needs to do in you before you step into any engagement. Have we given this enough time? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. But there's this rush to the wedding. We've got to get there. The community helps with, hey, give this thing some more time. Let this thing blossom a bit more. And so what happens, because what we found couples date alone and engage alone and get married alone and oftentimes divorce alone, what happens is the the wedding day itself becomes this false picture of what's really happening in the relationship. It's this day where they stand there and so many couples want to be under the hoopah and the, the pastors and leaders are there and the older couples are there and friends and family and their best friends are surrounding them. But it's a false picture because what happens is we get invited to the event, but we miss out on the journey. We want everyone surrounding us on the day, but we want no one speaking into our relationship. And this is why so many times I leave weddings and go, wow, this, this was so shallow. What's wrong here? It's because this couple's deeply disconnected from community. Because of that, they're deeply disconnected from God. And on that wedding day, we want it so spiritual. And we want God there. And God is there because he's so good. But it's a false picture of what's really happening. We talked about how the true test of community is this, that You have people who can see into your relationship and speak into your relationship. Dating couples, do you have people in your life who see the mess, who see into your dating relationship, and you've given voice to speak into your relationship? Married couples, are there people in your life that you allow into your marriage to really see what's going on? That's the true test of community is there are people who see in and speak into your marriage. And the true test of character and humility is do you listen? Do you listen? Because we can all open up and bear our hearts. But when people speak in, do we really listen? Have we humbled ourselves to hear the voices uh, in our lives? So here's what. I'd love to see. I'd love to see every couple surrounded and covered. 
This is what it means to be under the hoop, is that you're surrounded by friends and covered by spiritual fathers and mothers and older couples. I want to sit with every couple. I want to sit with every dating couple and go, listen, are you surrounded and are you covered? There is such a deep healing, a deep courage, a deep wisdom that will come into your relationship if you are surrounded by the right friends and covered by older couples, by leaders, by pastors, by spiritual fathers and mothers. That you have friends. Are you covered? And, and when, I talk about, when I talk about being surrounded by friends, I'm not talking about group dating. This isn't like, hey, make sure you do a group date at Chuck E. Cheese. Like, this is that you actually, in your rhythm, have people that can ask you hard questions. It means, ladies, you, you allow people into your life to weigh in on the dude you're dating. Like, hey, is this dude cool? Because I'm telling you, your friends can see things you can't see because love is blind. Listen to your friends. They're going to save you a lot of pain. And dudes, are there guys in your life that can call you out and call you to be the man of God and the leader that he's called you to be? Or are you guys just dating in the dark? Do you guys just disappear? And you show up on that wedding day. Do you have friends? I know that my wife and I, for uh, years of uh, our marriage, um, we had friends in our life. But uh, for me, it was really difficult to let people into the dark places. I was very guarded in the first few years of marriage because it was so painful. It was so hard. We were really struggling. And I didn't know that that was normal. And I didn't know it was okay. And so I guarded myself and I hid. And a few years into marriage, finally my wife and I, we brought our mess. We brought our struggle. We brought our pain. We brought our fight into community. We jumped in a love and respect group. And I remember seven years into our marriage, how much healing and freedom came to our marriage because we brought our mess, we brought our marriage into community and just said, hey, listen, we're struggling, help us. And then we realized we weren't alone. We realized, oh, you struggle too? Oh, marriage is hard for you? Oh, your first year sucked? (laughs) Sometimes the most freeing words you can hear is, me too. Me too, right? It's like the most freeing words. It's all I need to hear is me too. Oh, you too. Me too. (laughs) We need friends. This is a big deal that you have friends surrounding you. Uh, We need friends who surround us. Are you surrounded and are you covered? We need spiritual fathers and mothers. We need an older couple. We need pastors. We need mentors covering us. This is a huge deal. I love the story in Scripture of uh, Moses and Joshua. And Moses, Moses, you know, had the beard. He was the old dude. Joshua was the young man in battle. And they were going to war against God's enemy. And Moses says to Joshua, hey, go down in battle and fight. And so Joshua takes the young men and they go down to fight in this battle. And Moses stood on the mountain. And here's Moses. And he's got his staff in his hand. And Joshua is fighting the battle. And I believe many times marriage is a battle. And here's Joshua. He's in the battle. And every time Moses lifted up his staff, Joshua would win the battle. Whenever he got tired and the staff fell down, 
Joshua would lose the battle. Every time the staff went up, Joshua would win the battle. Every time the staff came down, Joshua would lose. You know, Moses was having fun with Joshua at times. And it's this this amazing picture that when I'm in battle, marriage is hard work, marriage is painful. When I'm seeking God in marriage... When I'm in the battle for my marriage and my family, I need friends around me. I need Kendall in battle with me. I need Dan Lance. I need Aaron Hayes. I need friends that are surrounding me in the battle. But I also got to look up on that mountain. I need to see Moses with the staff. I need to know, listen, if I'm Frodo Baggins... And I'm taking the ring into the fire of Mordor. I need Sam Wise Gamgee with me. But sometimes it's just comforting to turn around and see Gandalf. I need to know Gandalf is up there, man. You're awesome, Sam. But I need Gandalf sometimes. I need Gandalf the gray or the white or the blue. I need fathers, I need mothers, I need Bill and Jill Randall. Bill and Jill Randall have been marriage mentors for us for years. I meet with Bill twice a month. He encourages me, he coaches me, he asks me hard questions. Are you loving your wife? Are you loving your kids? Are you taking your days off? Are you resting? Twice a week. I have friends I meet with weekly that call me out, that see into my life, that speak into my life. My, my wife and I, um, we're meeting with, with a couple from another church in town. Helping us through stuff. Helping us through our struggles and our pain and our wounds. I want my marriage deeply planted in community. And I want my marriage covered. And I will do everything possible to make sure that I live in that place. And I believe it's the hope for marriage. I believe it's why God gives us community. I love love what Banning Liebscher said. He came to our Dreams Conference a few months ago. And and he was talking about a young couple that came to him. And this young couple, they came and they said, hey, listen, they were on the edge of divorce. And this couple came and they said, listen, we did our best. We did our best. Here's what Banning said. He said, listen, your best is not good enough. We did our best. Your best is not enough. I want to say to every single man, every single woman, every dating couple, every married couple, I want to say to you this, that your best is not enough. You need the best of others in your relationship. You need the best of others in your marriage. I need that. I need people in my life. The the enemy, he, he is raging a war against my marriage, to divide my marriage, to tear apart my family. And I need the best of others. I need the best of of the Hayes. I need the best of the Reinhardts. I need the, the best of the Lances. I need the best of the community here speaking in and seeing into the dark places in my life to help me grow and to help me win this battle. If you're isolated, chances are the enemy will take you out. We're seeing this all around us. Are you surrounded? Are you covered? See, here's the thing. This just won't happen. 
No one just stumbles into community. This isn't, hey, well, we're here in church, we're in community. No, this isn't community. This is crowd. Crowd's awesome, crowd is not community. And this won't just happen. See, every couple ends up somewhere in life. Few end up somewhere on purpose. So your dating relationship, your marriage, it's going to end up somewhere. But few end up somewhere on purpose. And those are the ones with a plan. What's your plan? Are you in community? Are you undercovering? And do you have a plan? Ladies, do not date a man without a plan. Make sure he has a plan. Don't go on a date with a dude unless he has a plan to protect the purity of this marriage. Unless he has a plan to be in community and undercovering. If he doesn't have a plan, run from that dude. He is dangerous. And I really believe this, that uh, it's your responsibility as couples. How, how many dating couples here? Raise your hand. It's your responsibility. How many singles in the house? Oh, I love it. I love it. See, it's, it's your responsibility as you begin dating. I'm sure tonight there's going to be something weird that happens well, where there will probably be 20 new dating couples after tonight. It's just what happens. We talk about dating. It just happens. Look around. But here's the thing, as you begin dating, it's your responsibility to surround yourself with a family. No one can do that for you. It's your responsibility to find those friends and say, will you protect us? To find those fathers and those mothers, to find an older couple and say, will you cover us as we date? And then to invite people in, will you speak into this? And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Isn't that the hardest thing? To actually give people voice into your life. To actually bring your brokenness, to bring your mess into community. It's so hard. We have so much fear, don't we? We have so much fear that people are going to actually see what's in us. That people will find us out. But that's the most healing place. That's where God wants to meet you. God wants to meet you in your deep wounds, in your pain. In your fear. That's where God is waiting to meet you. And I was talking with a uh, couple good friends of mine who came to me. And uh, they they asked my wife and I to really cover them uh, as they date and as they pursue this relationship. And um, they went on a family trip to Vegas. And uh, they were joking with me like, hey, you know, know, we might elope. Might elope. And I looked at them and said, I will punch you in the neck. And, and so we joked about, you know, Vegas, and, you know, I could dress up as Elvis. I mean, I can marry you. I can dress up as Elvis. And, and then um, she said this, and I love what she said. She said, that's not the story we want to tell. And to me, that was powerful, because I really believe that here's a generation that if they capture God's heart for dating and marriage, they will tell a story that shapes history and shapes generations to come. That we can look around at the brokenness around us and we can complain about all the divorce or we can give our lives to see it change in our day. I love that most of you are single because you get to tell this story 
from the first glance, from the first date, you get to plant yourself in community. You get to place yourself under covering and allow God to begin to use your relationship to shout Jesus to the world. This is the thing. Marriage is meant to shout Jesus to the world. God created marriage. It was in God's heart that marriage would show the world God. That people would see the covenant. That people would see the love. That people would see the sacrifice. That people would see the conflict and the the resolve. People would see the healing. That people would see the, the pain and the suffering. But we didn't give up. We stayed together. We fought the battle and we won. That people would see that and go, that's God. And that all the romance and all the sex and all the pain and all the suffering and all the scars that come through marriage would actually show the world Jesus. Because the point isn't having the perfect marriage. This is not the point. In our culture, there's this weird, we we worship perfection. We've got to have the perfect marriage. That's not the point. The point is to take your brokenness and find Jesus in it. Jesus came, and he didn't come to live a perfect life so that we could all be perfect and live a perfect life. He came to pour out his life and to be broken. We are meant to bleed in community. And the scars and the wounds that God heals in and through marriage become a reflection of the scars and wounds of Jesus in us. Marriage is a great calling. And I just, I want to see a generation of daters who understand what marriage is. And it won't be perfect. And it will always be messy. Dating will always be messy. But if you're in community and you're undercovering and God is in it, God will use it to shape something awesome in you. And that's what we want. Amen. Amen. You guys would stand. I want to pray for you.